welcome to Anime Audio Commentary. Today I'll be commenting on episode 5 of Gunbuster. If you'd like to watch along, then start watching now. So last episode we sort of left off on this triumphant return where Noriko had sort of gotten over her funk and wrought absolute destruction with Gunbuster. And now this episode, the characters have finally returned back on Earth. Noriko and Kazumi are graduating from high school, but you may have noticed that it said the year was 2032, which was a decade since they left. So this episode, it's it's really melancholy, because this sort of shows the consequences of all the high-speed traveling they've been doing that hasn't really been apparent. You know, like, things have... Things have really changed in the time they've gone. You know, Noriko's best friend is now ten years older than her. The girl who was bullying her has taken over as the instructor at the school. I can only imagine how much the world has changed in those ten years. The worst part is, it's not even like Noriko and Cosme had spent ten years away and come back. You know, it's like Cosme's saying right there, according to Noriko's birth certificate, she should be twenty-seven, but in reality, she's only seventeen. You know, this is something... I can almost relate to. You know, Noriko's seeing her friend, who's now ten years older than her, and who has her own daughter. You know, it's like when life gets in the way and you meet someone you haven't seen for a couple years. You've both changed, but at least time has passed for both of you. You know, this isn't the case for Noriko. The girl who was her best friend is now ten years her senior and has a daughter that's nearly three years old. You know, had Noriko stayed, she might have witnessed the birth of that child and been a part of her life, and while the child might not remember, you know, it's like... I don't know, it's like this very important person just sort of appeared out of nowhere. So as it turns out, things aren't exactly rosy here on Earth. You know, there's a giant ship 70 kilometers in length being built. And the idea is that that ship will be used to evacuate the Earth in the event that things really hit the fan. And Norco's friend, you know, she knows that space on the ship is a premium, so the military will be prioritized. And she's begging Noriko to use her sway to get her daughter on the ship. That's absolutely gutting. Now here's something... Unexpected. You know, Noriko's got posters for... Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind and My Neighbor Totoro on her wall. 
you know, those are films that I've watched and enjoyed. I think this is one of the things about Gunbuster that really, really just guts me, you know. Uh, she's even got Van Halen posters, like, Noriko's not a real person, but she feels like a real person, and it's weird that we have interests that overlap. You know, it's not like she's gushing about how much she loves Van Halen, but the poster there is just like a little subtle thing. So, as pleasant as this little interlude was, things are not good. The aliens appear to be hanging out around the constellation of Lyra, which is unfortunately close. As a matter of fact, the enemy fleet is so bad that it blocks out 70% of the sky. So, on a cosmic scale, that's... Uh, Decidedly not good. You know, the fleet's been described as 80 astronomical units. An astronomical unit meaning, I believe, one light year in distance. That's almost an incomprehensible length to imagine. So naturally, if these aliens are making way towards Earth... Noriko is going to be called into action, naturally, to pilot the gunbuster. You know, there's no getting around that, because I can only assume they haven't produced a weapon on par with that since. So back with Kazumi, she seems to be having a rather vehement disagreement with Coach. And we're not, I guess, privy to their exact conversation, but Coach doesn't look particularly healthy. It would seem as though that it was his words rather than the slap that's really resonating with Kazumi here. I can only imagine he dropped some really bad news about something. Well, considering he collapsed and just hacked up a bunch of blood, I'd say, uh, it's his health that's not doing particularly well, and Cosme didn't take that news very well either. So even as he's supposedly dying, you know, he's still tough about all this. He really doesn't want Cosme to know about the true extent of his illness. It would seem.
It seems like, despite everything that's been going on, Jung is still really optimistic about everything. You know, from what I know about Russians, at least stereotypically, those that live through the Soviet Union tend to be pretty pessimistic. It seems a bit unusual for her, given all that she's seen and done, to be so upbeat about everything. So as always, Coach has his mind on what he deems to be important. Not his life, but the survival of humanity. Granted, it seems as though humanity's got its smallest odds ever. With a giant fleet approaching, Coach is adamant that the only way to do anything is via the gunbuster. And that means Noriko. I think it's very telling that even while he's lying on the floor, drenched in his own blood, he has absolute faith in Gunbuster and in Noriko. Despite all his faults, you know, you can't really say he's truly a bad guy. It's more that he's a product of his time, I guess. Considering he sort of saw the genesis of this war with the aliens, you know, I'd imagine that would affect him pretty deeply. So it seems like Coach is dropping the bomb here. You know, he's sick, he doesn't want Cosby to know, and the way he's talking, it really seems like he doesn't have very much time left. And so his sort of last wish here is to keep Cosby ignorant of things so as not to aggrieve her unduly. Might be kind of faulty reasoning on his part, but... I don't know, I can't say I blame him entirely. So this sort of puts Noriko in a bit of a tricky position, since... It seems like Kazumi might already know, but, you know... I'd imagine Noriko wouldn't be the type to deliberately lie... You know, that would be something difficult, I would think, for her to do. So, things are not particularly good here. They've got that big battleship, but it's not really fitted out with weapons and everything. So it really wouldn't serve as much more than a glorified speed bump for the aliens. You know, this sort of meeting of the minds, I guess a planetary defense council, 
They seem to be really glum about everything. So I find it very interesting that Coach had to sort of barge his way in here. So he's got a reasonable idea here, you know, sending that old decommissioned ship and basically detonated to start a black hole and swallow up the fleet. You know, it might swallow up another planet, but, you know, what are you going to do in the face of hundreds of millions? I find it rather incredible that even in his state, he is adamant enough to, you know, scream and holler at all these high-up military brass and, you know, basically order them around. I guess considering he's dying, he doesn't really have much to lose. So Narco and Cosme's relationship here almost seems a little strained. You know, it's not like they were ever on, like, super great terms in the episodes we've seen, but Cosme seems pretty evasive. You know, they're just having small talk, but Neither of them really seems to have their heart in it, you know? Alright, so I think Cosme doth protest a bit too much here. You know, Noriko was going to spill the beans about Coach's condition. And Cosme says that the lives of billions outweigh the life of one man. Sort of saying that, you know, she doesn't really care about Coach right now. Or at the very least, she can't afford to, but... I don't know, that strikes me as more of, uh... Putting on a brave face rather than true conviction. So here's something we didn't really get to see before. Uh, Gunbuster isn't just one giant robot, it's two sort of machines that will eventually combine together. And in this regard, it kind of reminds me of, um, the old classic iconic Getter Robo, which was essentially like three planes that would sort of merge together in various forms. I guess in this sense, it's a very nice homage to Gatorobo, because that was truly a classic that I think kind of got shafted in terms of adaptation to anime from manga. So here's the big bombshell. Noriko and Kazumi, their mission's going to take them six months worth of Earth time, but... Coach is so sick from cosmic radiation that, in all likelihood, he doesn't have six months of time. 
But Cosmi only let this slip when they're blasting off into orbit. So, you know, it's really too late to turn back, no matter how much she might want to. And even on the ground, things are somber. You know, Jung is the first to say that she may never see the two of them again. Either because they die, Noriko and Cosme, or everyone on Earth dies. So I think this scene is particularly touching, with Kimiko talking to her daughter about Noriko, and sort of assuaging her fears, saying, you know, Auntie Noriko is the best pilot there is. We're in good hands. And she's saying that to her daughter, even if she doesn't necessarily believe that everything will be alright. But that's, that's kind of what you have to do as a parent. You have to reassure your kids, even if you're not particularly assured yourself. So things are pretty tense. You know, Noriko, she and Kazmi are preparing to slip into accelerated time as they travel to meet the fleet approaching Earth. God, that's gotta be heartrending as Earth recedes behind you at an accelerating rate and time starts to shift and compress. You know, in the few seconds they've been traveling, days have passed on Earth. Time dilation's a crazy thing. And the worst part is, you know, it's something that's real. It's not something we experience to any measurable degree in our day-to-day -day life. But, you know, it is real. Einstein was right. So everything is so far so good. They're approaching the fleet. They're sort of clearing a path for the decommissioned Exelon. Yeah, I think this scene does a fairly good job of establishing the scale. You know, the sweeping laser beam from the buster machines touches off all these vast explosions in the distance. And then we see what one of the ships exploding looks like from up close, and you see that, you know, boy, there really is a magnificent scale on display here. So things have reached a breaking point. You know, months have gone by on Earth by now. And Kazumi can't take it anymore. She has to take a hard reverse back to Earth. If only to see Coach one last time. You know, considering he's been 
perforated by cosmic radiation, you know, death is basically assured. And Cosme, to her own admission, hasn't done any of the things she had wanted to do, you know, has never even said I love you, anything like that, like, in my mind, that is a bad regret to have. I guess the worst part of all of this is that even if she did travel back at full speed, it would in all likelihood be far too late. So this is a rare moment here where Kazumi is freaking out and Noriko is the voice of reason. You know, Coach didn't want things to end like this, but there were bigger things than the six months of his life remaining. You know, if Coach were to sacrifice that to give us a chance, then we can't squander that. You know, there's billions of people waiting back on Earth some of which we know and love, and we can't let them down. Now this is another song that I really like in the soundtrack. I think it really complements what's going on on screen. You know, the two Buster Machines combining together and forming a whole greater than the sum of its parts, while this triumphant brass music plays in the background. That's good stuff. And I really, really love the mechanical animation here, showing everything clicked together. Not enough stuff gets animated like that for my liking anymore. So finally, the gunbuster emerges, and this time, it's truly operating at full power. You know, before, it was an unfinished prototype that Noriko was piloting by herself. But this time, it's been completed and it has both pilots. And I believe it was sort of alluded to earlier that one pilot's doing the executive functions while the other one is sort of acting in support. But even so... Both of them play an important role, and I think it really serves... I guess to make Gunbuster a whole greater than the sum of its parts. And considering how easily it's destroying the aliens now, I think that really rings true. Previously, we had only seen Gunbuster engage one ship, really. But this time we're seeing Gunbuster essentially take on an entire fleet by itself. And 
pretty handily come out on top. I think that's a real testament to its power. I mentioned it before, but I, I do think there is a decent amount of Ghetto Robo influence here in that Gunbuster, for that brief instant, had a cape like Getter 1 did. You know, maybe it's... I, I think it's safe to say it's an homage, you know. I wouldn't really call it plagiarism or anything like that. I think it's just a nice little nod. I also think that it's a nice testament to the power of the Gunbuster that even as two aliens are attempting to crush them to death, they're calm about the whole thing because they know the Gunbuster is capable of taking it and surviving. So it seems like things have ultimately worked out. They've fought long enough for the Exelon to reach its destination and detonate its reactor. I think this is a pretty nifty depiction of a black hole, the way it just sort of springs into existence soundlessly. Because, you know, once you go beyond the event horizon of a black hole, not even light or sound can escape it. I also think it's a nice little nod to how science actually works in that they've detected the appropriate type of x-ray burst indicating that the black hole was successfully formed. And furthermore, they estimate that a whopping 99.89% of the fleet had been wiped out with it. Considering there were hundreds of millions of aliens, you know, that's destruction on a massive scale. So now we have sort of the moment of truth. Gunbuster has arrived back on Earth. And against all odds, Coach has survived. This is perhaps as good an ending as anyone could hope for. All those regrets Cosme had ended up being unfounded. And, indeed, she's given the opportunity to ensure that they aren't regrets.
Alright, well that's it for this episode. If you've enjoyed it, then by all means, tune in for the next one. See you, Space Cowboy.